This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! To stop the political violence, we must also confront the radical ideology. There is no vaccine for racism. Number 10 has categorized harmful in media briefings in recent times as woke and struggling. In the last few years, the so-called culture wars have gripped Western countries around the world. Debates around our collective identity, how to understand our history, and how to structure our societies have become loud, aggressive, and sometimes even violent. My name is Stephen Edgington, and I'm a journalist from The Telegraph. In this new series, I want to investigate the rise of the woke movement and understand where our civilization is heading. Are we on a path to a new utopia of social justice and equity? Or are we returning to the dark days of Mao's cultural revolution? Each week, I'll be joined by a guest who will attempt to answer these questions and many more, without the shouting, aggression or name-calling. My first guest has a particularly unique perspective on this debate. Yenmi Park grew up in a nation without a culture war. In fact, in her home country, we wouldn't be able to have this discussion at all. Park fled North Korea when she was a teenager and eventually moved to the United States, where she now lives. When she first came to the West, what she found shocked her. We're going to be talking a lot in this interview about the differences between North Korea and the United States and Western countries. But I want to start off with talking about some of the similarities. Have you noticed any similarities whatsoever when you came to the US, when you came to the West, out of North Korea? I know. I think this is very unexpected part of my experience being in the free world is that, I mean, of course, we would not deny that North Korea is almost like a different planet. <laughs> you know, it's really, especially when it comes to things, like the physical things, there is no internet in North Korea. There's no 24 hours electricity in North Korea, right? So those kind of things, we cannot find a similarity. But when it comes to people's behavior, I saw some similarity and that made me really concerned, especially when I was attending university in New York City, uh, Columbia University. I mean, I, gr- I remember growing up as a younger, the first thing my mom told me was not to even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me. And she said, most dangerous thing in my body that I had was my tongue. It wasn't just going to kill me only. If I said the wrong thing, it was going to kill the three generations of my family with me. And going to Columbia University, I also learned that in America, you can get canceled. You get censored. You get penalized. You get, you're called Nazi and bigots if you do not have the political correct, you know, correctness and that really broke my heart because for me <clears throat> safe placement where people can express ideas especially in college campuses where you can be stupid and you learn and by discussing by talking to people but of course at like columbia in the name of safe place 
they tell you the things that you cannot talk about. And also, the sentiment when it comes to hating white men, it was exactly the same. In North Korea, the regime says, "Oh, we are poor because American bastards. We are poor because you know we don't have electricity because American bastards." Like American bastards was was one word. Now, studying at Columbia, Africa was destroyed because of white men. You know, the world is having all these problems because of white men. Like every single thing, the narrative was so similar that I was thinking, "Am I in North Korea's classroom or like actually in America right now?" Can you give some anecdotes, some examples of where you found similar behavior when you were at Columbia University and sort of in wider society? So I remember right before this course called the Western Civilization Music, and before the class, right, the the professor always asks, you know, so who has a problem studying Western Civilization music? And everybody raising their hands, and the reason they were saying is. Because a white man killed all the minority and silenced minority, and only things that we left to study is these bigots like Mozart and Beethoven. After all, I'm in the West, right? And in Korea, we would not say that studying our Korean artist, and they were like, "You are brainwashed." And not only that, they, I remember my one of at orientation, one of the instructors say, "Like, who likes to read Jane?" Uh, Austin and I said me and then she was like, do you know she was a bigoted-minded white supremacist who are racist wrote that book. So by reading this classic literature, you're being brainwashed subconsciously. So they are expecting the people who lived in many centuries ago having the same standard of understanding and culture, and that is just I mean, we evolve as a humanity. They do not accept the evolution. And anybody who dis- has a different behavior and different history, they all call them. They they need to be cancelled. One of the examples you've given previously about sort of wokeness and North Korea、mm-hmm. is the idea of having guilt for your ancestors' alleged <laughs> wrongdoings. So in North、yeah. Korea, you've mentioned already that you know you you can、uh, be born, grow up, have children. In a in in a concentration camp in a work camp because of the crimes alleged crimes of your grandfather in the Korean War, and then in the West when you came to Columbia University, as you say, some people would argue that、um, white people owe some kind of、um, reparations or they should be guilty about the actions of their their ancestors because they enslaved black people and and everything else. So, can you talk a bit about that comparison and also what was your reaction when you? When you suddenly came to the West and you saw these experiences, how did you how did you feel about that? I think that's a great point. Like in North Korea, this thing called the guilt by association. So you the fact that you are being associated to person, you are guilty. So when my father was sent to prison camp for doing a trading, because in socialist you know country you cannot trade, and he was sent to prison for that. And they told me that my blood was tainted. And when I came out and spoke out against the dictator, the family that I left behind, three generations of my family back in North Korea, were punished because I spoke out. So this collective guilt is the most inhumane thing, right? Individuals are responsible for their own behaviors, but the fact that you are related to that person doesn't mean anything because you can never choose your own ancestors. And when I came to America, is that there's something called a white guilt, and I was like. What do you mean, white guilt? And because you're guilty, because possibly most of them is don't even like they are like new immigrants. Might possibly own the like slaves, therefore white people are guilty. And there's like a white privilege. What is privilege? Like because they were also own the slaves, they are privileged. And this collective guilt is such a Marxist and communist thing to do, and that we do not. You can never get over that because. It's not up to us choosing our ancestors. So when you are born in that bloodline, that you are forever doomed. You are like forever like irredeemable. There's no path out of it. There's no forgiveness, and that's like if we go to this path of collective guilt by just being associated, there's never ending of persecution and hate. And though I also couldn't believe that West chose that. Path where usually communists and Marxists go towards, and I think this is like so prevalent in our culture right now in America especially, and yeah, 
I don't know why they are voluntarily doing this destructive thing to each other. Now you have a truly unique experience that people in the West, including myself and probably almost everyone watching this video,、um, doesn't have. You've seen life in a communist, authoritarian country in North Korea, and then you've experienced life in China, in Mongolia, in South Korea, and the United States. So you truly have seen various different perspectives and various different. Societies. Do you truly think that America is a free society? Are the West free countries, or are we just like North Korea in some ways? So I think one of the interviews I talked about, like North Korea, is not even this crazy, right? And especially I was comparing the work culture. I mean, before the class, you know, in this like 120 people lecture hall, everybody says the first thing they ask is like, "Oh, give us your pronouns." And then some of people are gender fluid, so that morning they might identify themselves like girl, but afternoon they're gonna be a boy. So instead of me trying to learn who this person as a character, all my energy is being spent on learning their pronouns in the classroom, so I don't look like a bigot, I don't look like inclusive person enough. And what all? I mean, so that was when I was like, even North Korea don't do this stuff, you know, like people. Now identifying as a African American or identify as a Korean, even way,、right? the it's just the chaos in what is true is so lost that nothing is true anymore. So I think this is why I thought I was like this is worse than North Korea. At least in North Korea, we know what women is, what men is, and this is like now I'm denying it. Just the fact that how society is obsessed about these things, and that's when I realizing. Not having problem is actual problem, because these people do not actually having a problem. They are creating problems and to be offended and to think they are the victims. And the people were saying, "At Columbia, all these privileged kids, right, going to Ivy League school, saying, 'I'm so systemically oppressed.'" And I was like, "You know, people actually oppressed don't know don't know if they're oppressed. You know, that's like if the fact that you know you're oppressed, you're not oppressed." And I think this is like the education in the West, especially the Western, like the European countries, are doing this to children, telling them how victims they are. You know, they do not teach them to self responsibility. And frankly, I don't think they even know the history of socialism or communism. And they, they, they know Hitler. They know Nazi Germany, right? But you know, Mao killed sixty millions of human beings under Communist Party. Stalin. Nothing killed more than communism ever did, but most people do not know that, and I think that's why education failed them. And these young people have no clue, and all they are blaming is this freedom. They hate to be free in this country, and they are, they wanna be not free in some way. Voluntarily, they wanna give up their own individual liberty in some ways. So when people say to you, "I am systemically oppressed," I am in you know every single institution is out to get me. White people, you know, basically all white people are racist, and all institutions are born out of slavery, etc. And as you say, that they are victims. When they say that, when they say they're victims, and, and as you say, they've grown up in the West, they've grown up in a free society. How does that make you feel? I mean, I can't even imagine as you know going through what you you went through, and then hearing people who have one of the most privileged lives possible, not just in today's world, but in you know in history, and for them to say that to you must be pretty upsetting. So exactly, I think that's.、Like, I mean, at thirteen, I was sold as a slave. So when these people talk about slavery, learning from their textbooks, I know what slavery looks like and feels like. I was sold for less than three hundred dollars in this twenty-first year and a sex slave. Right, my own mother was sold for, for like around sixty-five dollars in two thousand seven in China. And these people when talk about slavery, and I'm like, do you know actually there actual slavery happening at this very moment? The fact that you're talking about your ancestors suffering, what they went through, like of course that was horrible. But do you also know that right now there are three hundred thousand North Korean defectors in China are being sold like as slaves? And the thing is, even though for me I went through that, I never thought of something like become bitter or like blaming somebody. It the expectation of these people is that they do not have any resilience. And they do not understand how hard life is on Earth. Like our ancestors' life was so much harder than even my life, right? 
they made so much sacrifice, so much hard work to carry this life to next life, and that's why I always know that life is a gift. And these people do not have any appreciation for the people who keep came before them and give them life. And I think also the thing is, in in this culture right now, say inequality is bad. And to me was, where would you wanna be equal but all poor, like that poor like North Korea? Inequality does not mean poverty. I don't care this Jeff Bezos making a trillions dollars. I am still much better. And I think this free market capitalism gave rise to a lot of inequality, but that's a good thing because that means individuals can make money and get rich, not the government and not the corrupt officials. For me, it's that I don't even blame them. I think their system, they, the education they got was very inaccurate. And they learned how not to be resilient, but they learned how to be just blaming other people and not being responsible for their behaviors as individuals. So I think it's, it's really just important for us educating people, especially young people, the human journey, that what we went through to come here as a civilization. And life is not supposed to be easy, right? And they somehow expecting it to be always easy and somebody gives them handouts. And unfortunately, that's like not real life. If North Koreans were able to be exposed to wokeness, if they were showed, shown rather, um, examples of what you've been through Columbia University, examples of, you know, cancel culture and all these things, what do you think they would make of it? (laughs) I mean, they would not get it, obviously. So I remember before going to class, right, the professors email you. So in our class material today, we're going to talk about rape, some slavery. So if this triggers you, don't even do the reading and don't even come to class. And right before the class, they say, if any moment you get triggered, leave the class and you don't even need to tell me what's going on. So why the heck do you pay this fortune to go to university? <laughs> so almost like the professors were encouraging people to be triggered. And what does it even mean being triggered? We are going to be studying knowledge to find truth. Not feeling doesn't mean it's a fact, right? Unfortunately, Feeling is not the exact same thing with the logic. So almost in this environment of universities now, you have every excuse not to find truth and just say, I feel triggered. And you feel accepted, you feel like legitimized because you feel a certain way. And the obsessiveness of this feeling, I don't even know where that is coming from. So North Koreans, even as much as they are brainwashed, they will find this like absurd to the point they will not even understand what, what this thing is. And like, I would not even bother to tell my mom. Like She was like, what is a walkism you talk about? Like I was trying to explain to her. She was like, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, never mind. This is like what the people in the West do. Just like, yeah. Let me ask very briefly about a, a chap called Ollie London. I think you briefly mentioned him earlier. So this is a British uh, YouTuber, a white British YouTuber, who is now identifying as Korean. What do you make of that? I'm not like one of those woke people, you know, to go after him, like cultural proportion. I don't care about none of that. I think the fact that I, it was interesting to me because what this kind of trend where there's no more truth anymore gonna do to the people, right? There are gonna be people gonna think I'm a vampire, there are people gonna think I'm a unicorn, I'm a dog. And actually, there are actually some people identify themselves as a cat or dog, they eat like dog, right? It is so sad to say, but what the things I like about civilization is that there is a class. There's a manner with the gentleman, like the lady first. Those things were, were not, we did not know when we were in savannah and jungle. It's come with education and we develop our thinking and higher thinking and pursue higher moral. And of course, all these people said that's like an oppressive thing. And of course, there are a few parts of it was oppressive, but there were parts of it was admirable. And now we are going against all the traditional uh, norms. And there's no more manner. There's no more like this like, like class and grace. And just every become anything. And it's okay. I, I respect individuals as long as they, they don't harm other people. They have freedom to say I'm a Korean. It's okay. Like 
they have a freedom of speech, they have a right to say it. It's it's not they're harming anybody. It's okay for me that. But I think just like I'm worried that what this generation do now with this kind of a、uh, there's no more wrong and bad. Nothing is like clear. Everything is blurry. And this culture, the, especially Marxism, is destroying every other convention that we knew was a fact. Destroying that. Let's talk about your life in North Korea, and this is something you've talked about a lot in various different interviews and、um, speeches on online. In the West, people grow, grow up in a free society, relatively free, and it's very difficult to understand. I think what life is like in North Korea. So, how can people even begin to understand this? In the beginning, I thought like the fact that I don't make them fully understand what is happening. I thought like that my language inability. But the thing is, even while I'm like what I went through, I can never fully understand what the Holocaust survivors went through in the concentration camp. We can read about it, we do our best to use our imagination, but there's no way we can ever like exactly feel what they went through, right? So we can try. I think it is. It, life in North Korea is、uh, just complete terror. That the things that you say gonna get killed, right? I mean, the fact is, I was really funny in the past. People were saying like, "Are North Koreans dumb or something? Why do they not rise up? Why there's no revolution?" Asking me, right? And then now I'm asking. You get censored on like Twitter. You get censored on this or big tech media. If you say the wrong thing, you lose your job. And Honestly, frankly, do you really say that nobody censoring ourselves right now? We all do censor ourselves here. And why the consequences of us demanding freedom of speech is a lot lower than North Koreans demanding their freedom? But that is how effective fear is. The fact that you're gonna get called as a like Nazi and racist and losing your job is enough to silence the majority of people. But especially, think about. Killing your children, your mother, your family members—if you do the like dissent, right? So North Korea is being ruled by complete terror. We are regularly go see watch public execution. Your neighbors disappear regularly, and people on starvation mode on purpose by the regime. So you know we don't—we we are not strong anymore. The regime starving us on purpose. This time, the America and South Korea is begging North Korea to give them vaccine, and North Korea said no, thank you, because they want people to be locked down. They want people not to have any single freedom in the name of Corona pandemic, right? So that is the thing. The regime uses every force they can to oppress people and take the power away from individuals, and using a fear. And whoever gonna rise, they're gonna kill them all. So that's what you can imagine North Korea looks like. I think. Closest example is really 1984、uh, by George Orwell. That kind of like life is really actually a truth. So you know, double think. Thought crime is a real thing in North Korea. Can you give people a brief idea of what life was like when you were growing up? So you left North Korea to China when you were 13. So between when you were born and when you were 13, can you give us some idea of what that was like? So North Korea, even though it started as a communist, right? Then now、uh, they call themselves socialist paradise. They have a big three categories of classes, and then fifty different classes, like subclasses within them. So think about fifty different classes. There's a lot of classes, and they are preventing the mixing classes by if you marry somebody lower than you, you don't marry up, you marry down. So that's how they prevent them to mixing with each other. And in this exact class system, the regime decides how much you get to eat. They decide for you, right? What you wear, even what kind of haircut you get, where you live, where you go to school, and they even tell you exactly how much you need to be fed. So everything is absolutely controlled by the regime. And then we we don't have internet, we don't have outside information. Not to even mention people having a passport travel abroad. We are not even free to travel within North Korea. I cannot go to next town in North Korea without travel permit. That's how they control every single person, and especially if North Korean people watching foreign information, they get like you know they get sent to prison camps or executed, and that's how they also you know control people's minds and not to letting them know what is going on outside the world. 
And of course, I was in the middle class, but later went to bottom because my father went to prison, and that's why I didn't have food. Regime didn't think I deserved to be fed, so I had to go to mountains, go to river, fears, you know, looking for dragonflies, grasshoppers. I'd never even seen a shower. I just go to river to wash my body, clothes. In the winter time, we don't take bath, and we don't have central heating. We have to go look for branches in the mountain and cook things. It's more like mid-century, like 16th century, 15th century lifestyle. People, North Korean people, don't die from cancer. We don't even live that long. We die from mostly disease and malnutrition. And yeah, that's like how individuals live in the darkness. And what was your worldview like? What do you think of the the regime? What do you know about outside countries? What did your friends think? What did your family think? Well, I never seen the map of the world, so I did not even know that how white people looked like. I didn't even know there were like black people, you know, Arab or Hispanic. I never knew what race was. Like Kim Il Sung in North Korea told me that I was. I did not even know I was Asian. He said, "I'm Kim Il Sung race, the first Kim's race." And then they told me there was like America, which is our enemy. Japanese imperialists is another enemy, and then we have China and Russia. That's like all I knew about the world. I knew nothing about like European countries, and the North Korea history begins where Kim Il Sung was born. It's not the you know we our calendar begins when Kim Il Sung was born, not the, when Jesus Christ was born. So we do the Zuche year, right? So we are definitely living on a different planet. We have different common sense. Different calendar, different idea of race, and so I really knew nothing. I just thought I heard that in America, people really envy North Korea that we have an amazing leader, so they all want to come to our country and want to be like under our leadership, our dear leaders, like leadership, right? So they were saying you have nothing to envy. You are living in the best place on earth. You are so lucky that you're living in North Korea. And I believe it, even though I was starving and seeing people dead on the streets every single day. That was my daily life, seeing dead bodies on the streets from starvation. But I still thought I was living in the socialist paradise. Did you ever question the regime? Did you ever question anything? And did you ever speak to anyone in private to question anything? No, <laughs> we don't know what critical thinking is. So in North Korea, when I was there, I believed that Kims were starving like us. And then when I went to South Korea, they were like, "What do you mean Kims are starving? Look at him in the picture. He's so fat. How can he be starving?" But because I never learned the critical thinking, I never thought fat meant he was not starving. So entire like my childhood, I was singing songs like "Dear Leader, Please Eat and Rest," and like I was worried that he was dying from exhaustion. So that's how powerful propaganda is. Like that, people think humans are able to think critically, voluntarily. No, it's all learned behavior. Like, I mean, in North Korea, we don't know what compassion is. So when I was seeing dead bodies on the streets, I did not know that as a human, you supposedly feel bad for it. There is no romantic love in North Korea. Like I remember, two year, two thousand seventeen, Kim Jong Un banned Mother's Day in North Korea. Because he was worried that having a love for your own mother gonna distract the love for the party and the dear leader. So I never heard the word like love in my life. My mom never told me she loved me. My father to- never told me he loved me. Even the lovers, we never said each other we like love you. The love is only we are allowed to love the leader and the party, nobody else. And like, of course, we don't know the concept of human rights, right? Like, I remember going to South Korea, heard a thing called like animals' rights, and I was like, "What do you mean have animals have rights? You know, people in North Korea do not even know they have rights as a human beings." So I think all these things like human rights, freedom, love, all these things were something was not like we know when we are born. These things all has to be taught, and that's why education is so cool and important. I think one of the things our listeners will find most fascinating about you, because you are an extraordinary person, is what drove you in North Korea. What kept you going? Because, as you say, it was one of the most hellish places to be, and yet you still survived. And not only did you survive, you actually escaped 
to China. So what in when you're in North Korea and obviously, you know, beyond, you, you've become a human rights activist and everything else. So what actually kept you going? What was your purpose in life in North Korea? So well, simply in North Korea, I want to just, I mean, I was starving. So when people say you're so brave, you risk your life for freedom, I'm like, no. When I was escaping North Korea, I didn't even know what freedom was. All I knew was I was starving, and if I stayed there, I was going to die from starvation. And Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Then luckily I was in a border town and seeing the lights coming from China. And I thought, if I go where the lights were, I can find something to eat. When I went to China, of course they said, if you, you got to be sold in China and be raped. But you know, Starvation is worse than being raped. And that's why North Korean women choose to be sold in China. And then after two years of slavery in China, I chose to escape for freedom. That's when I knew. And that's when I crossed the Gobi Desert by walking from China to Mongolia when I was 15 years old. And that's, I went to Mongolia. And then several months later, I went to South Korea. So that's when I actually truly became free. But when I was escaping North Korea in the beginning, I had no clue what freedom was. I was just literally escaping for a bowl of rice. Let's talk about China in a moment. And I think that's a really interesting um, experience that you had. Obviously, another totally harrowing experience. Let's stick with North Korea for now, though. Your parents in North Korea, can you talk about what they did for a job, what their worldview was like, how you interacted with them? So my mom was a staying-home mother and... My father was uh, working for this factory, but then in North Korea, it's a socialist system. You, the regime gotta give you public rations to survive. But then after Soviet Union collapsed, the regime says we are not gonna feed people simply. So they, their success, the standard of success of ruling is keeping the 10% of the population alive in Pyongyang. So even if 90% of them all die, the regime not gonna do a thing about it. So they, they made people work, but they do not give them food. In North Korea, medical doctor salary a month is less than $1. And you cannot even buy two kilograms of rice with that money. So there's no way you can survive in that system if you follow the rules. So my father was bribing the uh, officials in the factory. That's why North Korea is you know, one of the most corrupt countries in the world. That he wanted to engage in the black market. So he sold the dried fish. In the black market in America means like selling weapons and drugs, right? But in socialist North Korea, trading is illegal. So black market means like selling your clothes, selling the, you know, your spoon. And so he sold like a sugar, rice, dried fish, clocks. And later he sold a couple like a knee care, uh, you know, silver and that was a crime in that system. So he was sentenced to more than 10 years of prison camp. And that's I, when I lived without my parents. My mom was also investigated and sent to labor camp because she moved the country without the permit. 
So they sent her to prison camp. I mean, labor camp. So I was eight, around eight, and my sister was around eleven years old. We were on our own without our parents. And did you go to school? I did go one or two semesters, but even though it's supposedly free education, right, free healthcare, everything should be free in communism, but it's not.、Uh, the teachers demand you to bring money, bring food, bring bribes for the teachers. But the thing is, also teachers don't get paid. If they don't demand a bribe, they cannot survive on their own. Even nobody can survive in the system. So everybody gotta be corrupt. So they demand a bribe, and we don't have money to pay the teachers. So they would hit me and send me back home and demanding more things to bring, and I couldn't go back because she was teachers were hitting us, and you know if we don't bring stuff for them. So when you're thirteen, you escape to China with your mother. And you said this was because you were starving, and basically this was to keep you alive. And you、yeah. go to China, and you're sold into human trafficking as a sex slave. Can you give people an idea of your journey? What happened? What were the dramatic moments? How did you escape from North Korea? And then going on from that, how did you get out to Mongolia? What happened? So. At thirteen, I crossed the Frozen River into China from North Korea, and then the first thing I see was my mother being raped in front of me. And in North Korea, I didn't even have a sex education, so I didn't even know what sex was. It just looked horrible. I did not even know the word rape back then. And then they were saying they wanted to like rape me first, but I was like around fifty, sixty pounds. I was a young thirteen years old, so it was malnourished. My mom offered herself. And then they said, like, so in China, due to the one-child policy that we know under the Communist Party, a lot of families had to kill the girls and then keep the boys to continue the family line. So right now, more than thirty million Chinese men cannot find wives. So these men want these sexual slaves. So these human traffickers buy us, and then. Sell us to these farmers in the rural areas, or the brothels, or the mas- massage parlors, all this like where women being slaves. And they asked me like, you know, they 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 don't even bother to like kidnap me. They were like, if you don't want, we can send you back to North Korea. But you know, going back means death. I was gonna die from starvation. Even the regime don't catch me and kill me. Starvation gonna kill me anyway. So there is no way for North Koreans to go back. Even the Chinese people, like I don't need to sell you, but like you can go back. I cannot go back. So these people just can do whatever thing they can do for us. And in in Chinese Communist Party, do not recognize us as、uh, refugees or like we are defectors. Why、right? when we escape, the regime see us that we deserted the party. So if we send back, we are gonna be punished, tortured, and executed in the prison camp. But Chinese like Communist Party completely goes against international law. Do not respect Geneva Convention, and then they brutally catch us and send us back to North Korea so we can get punished and get killed. So we are very vulnerable. We have to run away from police every single day. So Chinese people know that even if they rape us and kill us, we can never go to police and report on them, because police going to police is worse than being raped by these human traffickers. That's why we are so vulnerable in China, and I was just one of those three hundred thousand North Koreans in China. And after two years of many many episodes of slavery, I heard about missionaries from South Korea, and they said,、uh, if you go study Bible with them, they would help you to go to South Korea and be free. And that's when I joined the missionaries group and studied Bible. And then they told us how to go to South Korea. They could not lead us in that journey. So dangerous, right? So they gave us one compass in our hand, and then from China, the, in the Gobi Desert, go look for the you know west and to the east side and go that direction. So, but in the middle of desert, it was so dark, and I had to follow Northern Star to freedom. And thankfully, that star led me to Mongolia. And then I got discovered by Mongolian guards and told them that I want to go to South Korea, and they helped me to go to South Korea several months later. Wow, I mean that's extraordinary story. I mean, sounds extremely difficult to have gone from a place where you're starving to a place where you're sold as a human slave. I mean, 
you basically go from one hell to another hell. And you're suddenly learning um, all these new things. You know, you're learning what sex is. And eventually, at one point, you learn what freedom is from these missionaries. Can you talk about that, that experience of learning what, what freedom is? You know, you're into China, and most people probably assumed that when you get into China, you know, life's quite rosy and it's much better, but clearly, clearly it wasn't. So what was it like when you learned about freedom? So I remember those missionaries and somebody, the lady from Yundu missionaries told me, let's go to South Korea, then we are going to be free. So I was asking her, like, what do you mean I'm going to be free? Like, I never knew the word vocabulary free before. And she's like, oh, yeah, in South Korea, you can wear jeans, you can watch TV, and nobody going to arrest you for that. So that was my definition of freedom was. It wasn't like about freedom of speech, you know, freedom, freedom of assembly, religion, none of this. Back then, I was so deprived of freedom that the fact that you can even wear jeans, you choose what you wear and you choose what you watch on TV, that was the most like the liberating thing you can do as an individual. So I literally like risked my life for that kind of freedom. Not, not the freedom that I have right now that I understand. And when I went to South Korea, of course, my understanding of, of freedom got deeper and more complicated. But simply in the beginning, my understanding of freedom was just wearing jeans and watching TV. And nobody would arrest you for that. Very few people would go through everything that you've been through and be able to do an interview like this and, and be able to do not just this interview, but become a human, right, human rights activist. Uh, make speeches in front of large crowds that go viral on YouTube, which are fantastic, and go through this, you know, this this terrible, terrible um, upbringing, and then repeat it day in, day out. What keeps you going? What drives you? I mean, it it, it must be some extraordinary, fantastic um, survival instinct. But is it more than that? Oh, thank you so much. Right, like so. When you go through something, what I went through, like when I was starting going to China, the first thing that I learned was not to fear. Like, you know, if you fear everything that was happening to me, you die or go like insane, you'd lose your mind. And somehow your brain has this power, disengage, disassociate. And I was keep believing you. And I was like seeing myself being raped. It's like, oh, that's not me. Like, and... It was very challenging afterwards to fear something again. And it's, you know, I was being stopping a child at 13 and I never had like puberty. I never had like this tradition growth period in my life. But then you like have to somehow make a sense out of the things that you went through. That is make, doesn't make any sense. Right. And to me, like I came to this conclusion that. No matter what, life is worth living and it is a gift. And life is bigger than yourself. Like I'm in this continuation of this humanity of the people who came before me, what they went through for me to, for me to come here. So it's, you know, without meaning, life is very unbearable, especially life is not as easy like the most of people's are, right? You gotta find the meaning in life. And for me, like my, the meaning that I found was, Right, like there are right now over only 200 North Korean defectors made it to America over the last 70 years. So there's no mathematical chance of explaining what I went through. This is a miracle. It is a purely pure miracle, right? I think that's what I think maybe there is a reason why, why I survived it all. And I never think what I did was exceptional. That's why I made it. It was luck, pure luck. There are so many people who fall harder than me didn't make it so I think I know that I got how lucky I am so yeah I, that's why I'm so grateful like I can I mean that's like when I start my book like there are two things I'm grateful for one is I was born in North Korea and two I escaped and I am grateful for everything that happened to me and I would not switch it to anybody's life. People in the west understand that North Korea generally understand this the North Korea is an authoritarian regime. People understand that there are human rights abuses going on. And, you know, we do hear stories and journalists go into North Korea and discover some of the most awful conditions for people. And yet, there doesn't seem to be huge interest in the West in trying to change any of this. 
beyond the sanctions already happening and everything else, there's no massive human rights movement to help people in North Korea. Do you think people are too willing to accept the sort of situation as it is, rather than fighting for people? Because there are millions of people in North Korea, and I think people forget this, who at the moment are suffering and are experiencing these horrible you know, experiences that, that you've been through and worse. So do you think people are too easy to accept that as a norm? So in the beginning, that was my like curiosity, right? There are millions of people care about those like little polar bears are sinking. <laughs> you like, I mean, I'm living in Chicago when I go in front of this Canada goods store. I don't know if you know the brand, some Canadian jacket who uses duck's fur. There are people putting all blood on their body and lying down the streets in protest to fighting for these little ducks. And obviously, right, like Michelle Obama has no problem standing up for girls who was captured by Boko Haram and ISIS. And even though, like, there were like half million people, like 3,000 people, 300 girls were, were captured. But the scale of North Korean people's suffering is way bigger than anything that we know of. And the United Nations in 2014 said, this what is happening in North Korea is modern day Holocaust. We do not have any resemblance for the brutality of this regime. It's only we can see in the Stalin's the, I mean, camps and the Nazi Germany's Holocaust. So we know that Holocaust is happening again and people are denying it again. The reason why this is, is the case is that there's no one single Hollywood star want to stand up for this cause. Why is that? Because Chinese Communist Party. Kim Jong-un is sponsored by Chinese Communist Party. And China is the biggest middle market in the world. And Hollywood needs money. These Hollywood studios need money. Celebrities need to get paid from China. Why LeBron James talks about injustice happening in America and defending Chinese takeover of Hong Kong. Why John Cena recently coming out and saying sorry that he talked about Taiwan. I mean, WHO is afraid to even say the word Taiwan in their speeches. Because that's why we couldn't solve North Korea until this point. Not because people didn't care. Because the media purposefully didn't cover this side of that who is enabling Kim Jong-un. And all these people, virtue signaling, politically correct, mainstream establishment has been saying they care about justice, right? They, they care about inequality. They care about women's suffering. I mean, when I make a video on YouTube and the, what women went through, what I went through in China with under Communist Party and in North Korea, the YouTube censors every single video that talks about China. I can even send you screenshots. And I sent an email to Google saying, do you guys not support the, like me too? They were those saying the ones that believe her, whatever she says, right? All those people who rally against me too. When it comes to the me too of North Korean women, they don't want to, they don't want to talk about it. They pretend it doesn't happen. So this is like way darker why the world has been, why North Koreans has been like left forgotten and become invisible by purpose because nobody, they all want to, you know, police Chinese Communist Party so they can all make more money. So in that sense, is our society in the West built on a lie? I mean, politicians like to talk about values, defending human rights, promoting, you know, liberal democracy around the world. And yet... And yet we trade so much with China, uh, who are supporting the, the regime in North Korea. And of course, they've got their own human rights abuses. You've mentioned the 300,000 North Koreans who are um, in China, and many of which are under the sex slave, you know, human trafficking trade. And then also there's the Uyghurs in, in the northwest of China, in Xinjiang, who are currently experiencing um, something, you know, that some genocide. people call, uh, that, that, you know, genocide, exactly. So, so is our society hypocritical? Are we all living a lie? Absolutely. If this is not hypocrisy, what is then? Like, this is definition of hypocrisy. Like, when we the fact somebody's alive more than the other person's lives because it just meets their political narrative, that's hypocrisy. If you care actually about any injustice, how can as any human being that you do not care what is happening in China and North Korea? Like, Chinese Communist Party selling this following on the organs. It's the biggest organ trafficking in the world. And Tibetans and Xinjiang Uyghurs, they get all like uh, 
they sterilized them so they cannot have babies. So their birth rate fell like forty-seven percent last year. This is a this is genocide, and all these people talking about this virtue and a value and human rights and justice. Where are they? Where are these all these people talking about all this nonsense and then do not stand up for this, right? I think that that's why my I'm disgusted by like Hollywood. I'm disgusted by mainstream media. So I mean. There's one person get persecuted in America. That is a that is injustice, right? But the coverage on like the scale of the cruelty and injustice is doesn't just match. There's not even one single article about the North Korean slaves in China. Well, if slavery is that evil, if that not acceptable, why some slavery matters more than the other? It makes no sense, and I think. That's why, like, it's not like the average people didn't don't care about North Korean people. It's just the fact that media didn't cover it because, I mean, CNN, all these mainstream media in America get money from China. I mean, Harvard, Columbia, all these Ivy League schools getting money, researching money from China. Every single thing now funded by Chinese Communist Party, Hollywood, everything. So we don't know what's really actually happening in the world. You've spoken to Jordan Peterson on his podcast, which is a really interesting video. I'd highly recommend anyone to go and watch it. Um, and you've spoken to a series of other people, and I think you know these people are involved in this culture war that we're currently going through in the West. And you know we talked a bit about in the beginning of this interview wokeness and all the comparisons of that to North Korea. People in America, people in Britain, millions of people, in fact, feel disillusioned. They feel they have no meaning in their life. Some people are depressed. I think there is a real crisis of identity. In these countries, particularly among young people with social media, without a religion, they don't know what to do, and they feel they feel lost. What is your advice as someone who has been, in my opinion, absolutely extraordinary in going through the suffering and coming out of it and creating something positive from that suffering? What is your advice to people in the West who are growing up without a meaning, without purpose, without perspective? I I don't blame them how hard it is to find meaning. Right? If you go on TikTok, like social media, I mean, even going on like I mean, Twitter, the experience people stopped reading, right? I think it's like we became shallow in the result of social media. There's a good side of it, but also there's downside. And the culture became after we lost religion, as we becoming more like you know. Without God, the whatever, however you define God is, people really pursue instant pleasure, quick like dopamine hit, and we are not like as trained to fighting for something that brings meaning for deeper like rewards later. So everything is now like quick hit of like attention and pleasure and reward, and it is harder to. Sit through a book in this climate, right? There's so much distraction, and I would not blame capitalism for this because people say now the capitalists want to sell things to you. They are like distract you from all the ads. But the thing is, ultimately, this is up to individual. It's up to us shut down the social media and read a book, shut down social media and pursue human actual connection. Right? It's nobody's putting a gun next to our head doing that, and that is the beauty of it. Like how much. A choice and and power individuals have in this free world is remarkable. It is up to us, but I think that's the thing. Like they they gotta they gotta believe in themselves more, and they really need to learn how to be resilient and also have a really better understanding of human history. Like the people like I do know, they're all supporting this social work thing or even supporting democratic socialism in America. I truly believe most of them have good intentions, right? They they do not want people to suffer, but the thing is, the world is not those like perfect world. Everything, everybody born with equal talent, ability to think, equal capacity to you know process information. It's just nature of life. There's a hierarchy, and we have variations. So that's I think what is lacking. That when you try to artificially make everything the same. That is like wrong. It's so messed up. Like I really try my best to be helpful every single day, but it's in so many ways, especially education with the young children, is so so bad. 
that I do lose hope and I'm like afraid to send my son to like normal public school. Like I'm like, maybe I need to really homeschool him at this point. And almost when you go into school, you, you, you become dumber and you, you become brainwashed. And it's so absurd to say that I'm talking about brainwashing in the West in free world. <laughs> but it is true. So I, I think it's for them, it's for me to like recommend them is really just like, you learn like appreciate thinking for yourself. It is a hard task, right? I never learned how to think for myself until I almost like adult. But it's so worth it. And I think that's what we need to really do. We gotta start thinking for ourselves and not just like believing if like what social media posts says something. Do we do you think most people in the West take for granted the freedom that they do have compared to others around the world in North Korea and other places? Obviously. I mean it's um uh, I was thinking, this is all, America is the only country, the people who wants to burn down American flag, wants to, like, you know, tear down the constitution and hate this country to their guts and would refuse to leave. Right? No country ever does that. Like, all these people talk about how horrible America is, how systemically racist, racist it is, but they would not go away. I mean, they can, easily like immigrate to North Korea, right? Why would they, if they praise socialism so much, they should immigrate to, to Cuba and Venezuela. They have socialist regimes. They should immigrate to China. They do not do that. So this maybe culture, I don't know, like promotes just be bitter and be cynical for no reason. And I think that they're being spoiled. I mean, no other way to put it. Like they are so ungrateful and spoiled people do not understand the value of freedom and do not understand what it took for our ancestors to have freedom that we have here today. There are people dying to be free and they will never get to be free. Even they try everything in their life, most of them do not get freedom. Like for me, the biggest sad part about my father is that it's not like I want even him to come to America and see this wonderful world, right? I don't even want him to be free one day. I just knew before he died, he knew about freedom. That we know. That he knew that life was not all that dark and suffering. That was just doing enough for me. And just the fact that you know what freedom is, that's a privilege. But these people, why they're being free and complaining, and like, what, how else can we say? They, they are just, they definitely lost the entire perspective. And they really need to like, uh, go out, get out, out of their bubble and look at the world. And we learn about human history. One final question about your campaign at the moment to promote human rights within North Korea, to raise awareness of your experience and obviously the millions of people who are in North Korea, their current experiences. How hopeful are you that life will change in North Korea within your lifetime, for example? I mean, North Korea, this problem has been more than last 75 years. And we all initially thought economic freedom brings political freedom, but with China, it doesn't. So that's, that's something unique about freedom. It must be fought. It doesn't just given to you. Political, like, I mean, economic freedom did not bring political freedom to China and in so many other countries too. And that's why I, all I know is that unless North Korean people fight for freedom, they are never going to get it. And it is a truth for Americans to Chinese, everybody. We need to learn that about a thing that's so unique about freedom is that it's, it was just never given. There's always forces that want to take it away from you, away from the people. And it's, that's why we have to stay vigilant. And it's so fragile. It's so precious. Like, what is better thing than like being free, right? That is like the ultimate goal. And the thing is, most of humanity, we were not free. This is the only recent convention that humanity found individuals have rights. Human rights? You really think that in the 15th century people knew what human rights was? No. And that's the thing. We have got to have some appreciation for Western civilization that invented these conventions for empowering people. And, you know, in North Korea, when, when you meet Kim's, we say we met a, we met a God. We met a, the son of this universe. And in America, I remember seeing these pictures where American prisoners like high-fiving people who clean the room. And that's how, even though people think this is a very unequal society, we have so much power as individuals here. 
in North Korea, there's one guy is a god, and the rest of 25 millions of people are slaves. And that's the thing. Like when you choose this path of making everybody the same, creating the equal, like you know, the results. That's where you're gonna you end up. You create the most inequal society, and absolute power always give rise to tyranny. And I think we need to all learn that at this point. And I think West is on some kind of tipping point that I see. And like you know, the fact that I get censored on Twitter, on YouTube, and social media platforms is just nonsense. Thank you so much for joining us. That was absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show and are interested in hearing more episodes like it, please follow this podcast and drop us a review. If you have any suggestions of people you would like to be interviewed, you can let us know via the Apple Podcasts app. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.